Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Continuing in our Advent series called God with Us, based on the prophecies that come from the prophet Isaiah. On this third Sunday of Advent, we are, uh, we're coming to the end of this little section here in Isaiah that started back in chapter 7, and as I said a moment ago, ends in chapter 12. Um, and uh, as, we, uh, as we do, we are looking uh, at something that really goes very well with the Advent season. We have said already uh, that the Advent season really does three things. In it, we go back. We enter back into the longing of the people of God, the longing for the Messiah, the promised king who was to come. But we also celebrate that this king has come. We celebrate the fact that Jesus was born, uh, the one we just sang about who condescended and took on flesh to rescue us. But we also, third, anticipate a day that is to come. We anticipate the second coming of our Christ. And all three of those ideas of Advent are going to be in our text here in Isaiah 11 this morning. So we will read this whole chapter together and then we will uh, consider it. Uh, so let's start at verse chap- or, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall Lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day... The root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who, who, who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. 
but they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. One of the most common themes around the holidays, around Christmas time, is home. The idea of home. Alyssa and Sayla and I on Christmas Day are going to be flying to Alyssa's hometown of St. Louis. And from experience, I can tell you, when you fly on Christmas Day, you're surrounded by people. And there's only one place that people are trying to go on Christmas Day, home. Of course, we hear songs on the radio play like, I'll be home for Christmas. Or there's no place like home for the holidays. Countless movies have been made about someone trying to get home for the holidays and all the obstacles they have to overcome in order to get home for the holidays. I mean, even I think about a movie like Home Alone. Even that is about the value of home uh, on a couple of different levels. On the one hand, you know, Kevin McAllister, because he values his home, he's defending it against, you know, the wet bandits, <laughs> Harry and Marv, right? But on another level... Here this kid gets what, or he thinks he gets what he wishes for, for his family to disappear. And he thinks it's great for a little bit. But by the end, he learns that the real value of home is who you share it with, who's there with you. So home, it's this theme that that permeates everything about Christmas. And, And it's a theme we associate with the holidays, I think, because it resonates with every single one of us. We all have an inner longing home, a place of security, stability, a place where we belong. But maybe your home isn't a place like that. Maybe the home you're longing for is not the home that you have experienced at this point. Or maybe you came from a happy home, but you've found over the years that it was actually more unstable than you realized. Maybe what once was a stable home, and everything that, that you thought was, was uh, never going to change had, has gotten upended. The things you thought were secure have changed, and what you thought was a stable home isn't so stable anymore. The reality is, whatever place we call home, whatever that place is, and however stable that home is, all of our efforts to find belonging and security and stability on this earth, will never totally satisfy the longing of our hearts for a place that we can call home. At at the time that Isaiah is writing this passage that we're looking at today, the people of God were preparing to lose their home. Their home was already a pretty unstable place. Uh, Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, had for some time been divided into two kingdoms, two nations, the the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so whatever stability, though, that they had, even in that condition, was about to be lost. 
the northern kingdom of Israel, along with their neighbor Syria, uh, was attacking the southern kingdom of Judah. So the king of Judah, King Ahaz, in the line of David, aligns himself, makes uh, an alliance with the international superpower of Assyria to defend Judah against the, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria. And as a result, Assyria was going to wipe out Israel. Home for Israel was going to be gone. And even though Assyria wasn't going to totally wipe out Judah, Assyria would end up in power over Judah, and that would ultimately pave the way for the day that Babylon would come in and conquer Judah. And so what we're looking at here is is for the people of God, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, home as they knew it was going away. Whatever sense of stability they had, whatever sense of belonging and home that they had was going away. But in this passage, in the passage that we just read, God gives his people hope of a glorious future homecoming. And this future homecoming would not just be a return to the home that they're about to lose. It would be better than that. This future homecoming would be a homecoming to a brand new home like one they have only ever dreamed of at this point. And in this promise to God's people centuries ago is a promise for us who are still longing for home. The good news of this passage is that God will create the perfect home. God will create the perfect home. Uh, in this text, there's, there's three reasons why this will be the perfect home. And the first reason is that the Messiah will reign there. It will be the perfect home because the Messiah will reign there. We can see that in verses 1 through 5. Uh, just look at verse 1 again with me. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So this reference to a, a stump in this picture, uh, in this verse, is a picture of God's people who have received God's judgment. Uh, throughout Isaiah, God portrays his judgment with this picture of him chopping down trees in a forest. Uh, back in chapter 6 and verse 13, Uh, We looked at that chapter this summer, you may remember. God foretold that his rebellious people would be chopped down like a tree. And only a stump would remain. And then in chapter 10 and verse 15, God calls the king of Assyria his axe in his hand to execute his judgment against his people. So God will judge his people, but notice in this verse the picture of hope. That's here. A shoot will come from this stump. New life will spring up from this tree that has been chopped down. And this shoot isn't coming from just any stump. This shoot is coming from the stump of Jesse, the father of David. God is promising here an offspring. He is promising the ultimate heir to the throne of David. The ultimate heir who would reign forever. The Messiah. Now that word Messiah, or Christ as we say, means anointed one. And we see in the next verse that this Messiah, the anointed one, we see 
with whom he is anointed. Uh, He will be anointed with the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He will be anointed just as his father David was anointed with the spirit of Yahweh, as 1 Samuel 6.13 tells us. And, And notice the descriptions of the spirit here. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. This Messiah who will reign will make decisions with divine discernment. The spirit of counsel and might. Counsel and might. The Messiah will not only know what is right, counsel, he will also have the ability to do it. Might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Messiah, because he will be anointed with the Spirit of the Lord, will have an intimate knowledge of God's heart. He'll know God's desire, his will, his way. And he will have such a reverence for God that he will be loyal to carry out God's will. In short, God's king will lead God's people in God's way. And with God's power. How will he do this? Well, look at verse 3. Just that first phrase there. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The Messiah will be be able to lead God's people and God's way with God's power. Because he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So what does that mean? The fear of the Lord. Well, it it means to be entirely God-like focused when i fear the lord i am interested in his opinion more than any other opinion when i fear the lord i aim to please him before i am trying to please anyone else when i fear the lord i care what his word says more than any other standard And what this passage tells us about the Messiah is that his delight will be to fear the Lord. And it will have a result, as we see in the rest of verse 3. This fear of the Lord that is his joy, his delight, his greatest passion, causes him to judge and reign with perfect justice. He, He will not judge based on appearances or simply by what people tell him. Out of fear of the Lord, he will make decisions based on the objective truth and righteousness of God. He will not try to cater to the rich and overlook the poor, but he will also not unjustly favor the poor. His aim will be not to please the rich or please the poor, but to please God, and in so doing, he will judge with righteousness. Because he fears the Lord, he will hate the wickedness of the earth, and he will slay the wicked with his powerful word, with the breath of his lips, the text says. He will be so wrapped up in pleasing the faithful and just God that truth and justice can be described as the belt around his waist. So we see in these verses that God promises the spirit-anointed heir of the throne of David who will fear God and reign in righteousness. And this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. 
We can see that from the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, You'll remember at Jesus' baptism, he comes out from the water and the Holy Spirit descends on him. It's a signal. He is the anointed, the Spirit-anointed Messiah. But further, uh, Luke tells us that early on in Jesus' ministry, he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, he enters into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stands up to read, and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus reads from what we now know as Isaiah 61. Luke records it. He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when Jesus finished reading that, he sat down and he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what has to be one of the most epic mic drop moments of Jesus' ministry. Plus, at the end of Revelation, Jesus says in Revelation 22 and verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root of... And the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So the first coming of Jesus that we celebrate at this Christmas and during this Christmas season was part of the fulfillment of this passage. But this passage will not totally be fulfilled until Jesus' second coming. Paul refers to Isaiah 11 when he writes in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So the first and best part of this perfect home that God will create is that Jesus Christ will be there reigning over all things. Reigning perfectly, reigning according to the fear of the Lord. And we long for the day when he totally wipes out the wickedness of the, of the world with his powerful word. But how do we live in between this first coming of Jesus, the anointed one, and the second coming of Jesus? How do we live in the present as we wait for the day that we get to enter into our eternal home? Well, I see a clear answer to that question in Psalm 2. And uh, flip, go ahead and flip back over there to that psalm. This is another passage about the Lord's anointed king who will slay the wicked so that he can then reign in righteousness. And in the last verse of that psalm, God addresses the king's of the earth. Look with me at Psalm 2, verse 12. So he says to these kings of the earth. In fact, look back at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And then look at this last phrase. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. As we wait 
for the day that Jesus Christ comes back. We need to realize that we do not deserve for him to bring us into his perfect home of righteousness. We are the wicked who deserve to be killed with the breath of his mouth. But the good news of Christmas is that this king who is coming a second time to slay the wicked came a first time not to kill the wicked, but to be killed for the wicked as the perfect substitute. The only way that wicked people like you and me can have a home with this righteous king forever is if we, like Psalm 2 says, take refuge in him today. If we turn from our wickedness and place our faith in the death of this king for his people. If we find our refuge in him. We sang a moment ago, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. The Messiah will reign in this perfect home. And we have the opportunity to find our home in this king today. Find your refuge, find your home in this king today. The second reason why this will be the perfect home is because the Messiah will reverse the curse. The Messiah will reign there and the Messiah will reverse the curse. Uh, look again at verses 6 and 7. Flip back over to Isaiah 11 and look at verses 6 and 7 again. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The Messiah will end all hostility. What we see here is a, a reshaping of the natural order. A reshaping of the way nature works as we've always seen it. The creatures that we now know as predators will in that day be trusted with creatures that we've only ever known as their prey. There will be zero hostility. Even among animals, there will be total safety. Not only that, notice a little child shall lead them. In our study of Genesis uh, that we've been in, we've seen that God's original design for humans was that they would exercise dominion over all creatures on the earth. And here we see in these verses an indication that the Messiah is restoring creation back to the order that God originally intended for it. In such a way that even a young child will be able to rule the way that God always intended for all humans to exercise dominion. And then there's another indication that this is a, a time and a place when the curse has been reversed. Look at verse 8. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. 
Or maybe we could put it this way. The offspring of the woman shall play over the whole of the offspring of the serpent. We saw just a few weeks ago in Genesis that as a result of the fall, God put enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. But this text is showing us, it's indicating with this language that the Messiah in this day has reversed the curse. The hostility brought about by the curse will be eliminated by the prince of peace. This is a reversal of Genesis 3 that we see here in this passage. All hostility will be over. And it will be over for a very specific reason. Look at verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The reason why the hostility will be over, the reason why the curse will be reversed, is because the whole earth will know the Lord. Not just know about him, not have heard about him, but will have an intimate relationship with God. It's not possible to have a world of perfect peace disconnected from God. The only reason why there will be peace on earth is that the entire earth of that time will know God. The entire world will have the knowledge of the Lord. And as a result, the whole earth will be God's holy mountain. Ultimately, this is fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. In Isaiah 65, Isaiah restates this promise of Isaiah 11 as he describes the new heavens and the new earth that God will create. In verse 25, he says in very similar language, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. As we just sang a moment ago, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The perfect home that God will create will be freed from the curse, free from sin, free from hostility, because everyone will know the Lord. And that's all great, but what about the hostility that we experience now? I mean, maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm glad that day is coming later, but uh, Christmas is coming in a couple of weeks, and in my house, the hostility has not been ended. In my house, the lamb uh, still has to be careful about what it says around Uncle Wolf. <laughs> so, how do we live in the present? As we wait for our home in the future, how, how can we let our anticipation of that home shape the way that we exist in our temporary home here? Well, listen to Acts 9.31. I think we get a hint here of how we can live this out. In Acts 9.31, uh, Luke writes, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We can have peace. Even today, we can have peace by following the example of the Spirit-anointed, God-fearing shoot from the stump of Jesse. Our Christ. 
if you have taken refuge in Christ, you too have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. You too have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, knowledge and the fear of the Lord, uh, the spirit of counsel and might who can not only remind you of what you need to do, but also give you the power that you need in order to be able to do it. This Holy Spirit, the spirit of counsel and might, gives you the power you need to walk in the fear of the Lord. Like we just talked about uh, a moment ago that the Messiah delights to do. As followers of the Messiah, the Holy Spirit enables us to be able to walk in such a way where we care about God's opinion more than we care about anyone else's opinion. We care about God's standard more than anyone else's standard. The whole earth may not yet be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. But if you know the Lord, as you walk through even this holiday season, he can enable you to walk in the fear of the Lord. So trust in him. Depend on him as you walk through this holiday, holiday season to walk in the fear of the Lord so that you can promote peace in your home. So this will be the perfect home because the Messiah will reign there, because the Messiah will reverse the curse, and third, because the Messiah will bring his people home. It'll be the perfect home because the Messiah will bring his people home. See, because of God's judgment on his people at the hand of the nation of Assyria, the people of God were reduced to just a small remnant not only that, they're, they're about to be scattered across the whole world. But God promises that he will reassemble his people under the kingship of the Messiah. Look at verses 11 and 12. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. God promises a day when he will regather his people who have been dispersed. He will bring them out from all the nations of the earth, from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. And he will assemble them under the kingship of the Messiah. And as he does this, the reassembling of his people will be a, like a new and better exodus. Uh, look at uh, verses 15 and 16 again. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt... And will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. That may sound familiar. That might sound like an echo of the Exodus. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people. As there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Did you notice that phrase, that the second raising his hand for a second time in verse 11? This is going to be a second Exodus, as, God, uh, as God's people were at one time in Egypt, far from the home that God had promised them, and God made a highway through the Red Sea and through the wilderness to bring them home, so God is promising a day when the Messiah will call all the exiles remnant of God's people 
home. And when his people come home, the end of hostility that we've already seen in this passage will be true for them. You see that in verse 13? The jealousy of Ephraim, that's the, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. The hostility between the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah is what led to this disaster with Assyria in the first place. And God is promising a day when his people will be home, but not just back to the home as they are here, divided and hostile against one another. He's promising a day when his people will be home and they will be not, no longer scattered, but will be reassembled at home and be together in harmony with one another. This homecoming will be glorious. And what will be even more amazing is that the Messiah will be assembling a family that is made up not only of the descendants of Abraham, but through the offspring of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Look back at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And then look down at verse 14. He's talking here about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that are united, and and he uses this language. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. So the nations listed here in verse 14 are are pagan nations, which were at various times in Israel's history, Israel's enemies. So there is this conquest language. But this conquest language is designed to describe the spread of the reign of the Prince of Peace, the expanding borders of the Messiah's kingdom. And what we see in the rest of Scripture, as Scripture unfolds, is that the uh, expanding borders of the kingdom of the Messiah will not be the result of literal military conquest. But instead, these borders will expand by the spreading of the gospel of peace. Uh, Turn over to Acts chapter 15. See something similar here. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles, the nations. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he's quoting here from Amos. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So this day that is coming, that the prophets were looking forward to, this day of of both uh, the Jews and Gentiles coming home, 
this day that they're looking forward to is a day when God's people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be home with their Christ. So they're looking forward to this day, this homecoming, looking forward to that day when every when people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be around the throne. But already today, God is calling his people home. Already today, the signal has been raised. Jesus said in John 12, 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus was lifted up from the earth on the cross. He was the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And he is now drawing all people to himself. And he is drawing all people to himself. He is drawing his people home as his followers go into all the world and make disciples. So how do we live in light of that coming day when all of God's people will be home? We raise the signal. We lift high the cross. We lift high the name of Jesus. We, we pray. Jesus said to pray for uh, the Lord of the harvest to send the laborers out into the harvest. We pray that more and more of God's people would come home to the Messiah. We give. We, we saw, um, we're, we're going to be giving um, on Christmas Eve to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's a, it's a missions offering for international missions. 100% of what we're going to take up on Christmas Eve is going to go to the mission field. To go um, to, to where the followers of the Messiah are currently laboring in order to Raise high the signal so that God's people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation will see the signal and come home. So we pray, we give, and we go. We go to make disciples. We go to find where the people of God are so that they, we can call them home. Call them home to the Messiah. Call them home to the King who hung on a cross for them. We have opportunities coming up for us to go do this, to literally go and uh, be a part of what God is doing, to raise the signal, to call his people home. This uh, coming summer, we'll have an opportunity for a group to go to Bolivia and be a part of what Dan and Judy Burke are doing there to be spreading the gospel in that part of the world. This summer, we'll be able to send a group to Uganda again to be a part of what God is doing to, to lift high the cross in that region and call his people home. We'll have, uh, Lord willing, an opportunity next year to send another group to Colorado to go be a part of what God is doing in our own country to call his people home and to lift high the cross. So we, as we follow our Messiah now in this day, this root uh, and the root and the shoot of Jesse, as we follow him, we have the opportunity to be uh, partnering and go along on mission with our king as he is calling his people home from every nation and tribe and tongue. God will create the perfect home. It will be the perfect home 
because the Messiah will reign there. And so as we anticipate that day, take refuge in him today. Make a home in Christ. It will be the perfect home because the Messiah will reverse the curse. He will end the hostility. And so as you anticipate that day, walk in the fear of the Lord and by the power of the Holy Spirit today. So that you may promote peace in your home. And it will be the perfect home because the Messiah will bring his people home. So as we anticipate that day, may we raise the signal. May we lift high the name of Jesus as we long for the day that what we sing in faith now becomes a reality. He rules the world with truth and grace. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we await our eternal home, we would find a home in Christ today, that we would take refuge in him, that we would follow him. And as we are filled with the same spirit that anoints the Messiah, Lord, may we extend uh, peace and grace to those in our homes. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be about raising the signal lifting high the cross of Jesus so that you may draw more and more people to him. Lord, we long for that day when we will be home with our Messiah, with our Savior, and we are grateful that you have made a highway for us to come home. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.